morning. Good morning, Calvary. It's good to see you all. I love that song. That song's called Tremble, just singing Jesus, Jesus. I love it because it just repeats the name of Jesus. I sing that sometimes when I run. I'm like, it's crazy. I'm like running and I'll be somewhere and I'll be like with my hands raised running and like singing that song out. And it's like, I don't feel crazy, but people probably think I am. <laughs> but I, I just love it. I love to sing that. I love to sing that song when I sort of wake up in the night and you feel a little filled with uncertainty about the world, and I just sing, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. You silence fear. It's just singing his name over and over again. I love that. And today we are talking about singing, and not just singing, but our life of worship to a God who is worthy, that our God is worthy of worship. This part of living out our faith, as we've learned about faith, what it is and heroes of the faith and now how we live it out. We are today thinking about how our lives of worship, how our, how our singing of worship, how everything that we do to worship God is because of who he is and how he is worthy of it. We will be in Revelation, huh, sorry, Revelation. We sang some Revelation earlier, but uh, Hebrews 12 and we'll be in Hebrews 12, 18 to 29. And I want to read the last two verses for you. I'm going to be reading today actually out of the New Living Translation. This passage is a little bit kind of wild, and I think it uh, just helps us understand it a little bit easier today. We're normally reading out of the New American Standard Bible, which I love. Uh, but today, first, I want us to be able to hear this kind of anew. Hebrews 12, 28 to 29. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. I want us to consider that word awe or even this word awesome. I think people like me, Gen Xers that live by the beach, have kind of ruined uh, the word awesome, uh, where we just call everything awesome. That's awesome, dude. That is so awesome, bro. That kind of talk has ruined the word awesome, and it's on me. I take, I'll just take full blame for that of my, my people, <laughs> Gen Xers from the beach. Uh, but that, that word has lost some of its luster because what it should be about is something that fills us with awe and wonder that we are almost struck down by how amazing and beautiful and majestic whatever this word is that we are, whatever the thing is that this word is describing. I don't know if any of you have been to Yosemite and you've kind of come through that tunnel and you see the canyon out there in front of you and you just are filled with awe, that your breath is taken away by the wonder of God's creation. Or if you've seen the Grand Canyon, I think this is one of the places that is the most uh, unphotographable. <laughs> like it, it just does not translate to photography because like when you see it, you are just blown away with God and his power and his might and the beauty of his creation I was on a, uh, visiting some missionaries in Germany, and we took, I took a couple days by myself because I had to make the journey to see the real Matterhorn. And so I did, and I went, and I remember hiking in the snow on, on the foothills of the real Matterhorn, just blown away by God and his wonder and his creation and who he is. 
And so I want you to consider when was the last time that your breath was taken away by God's creation? Maybe it was even just one of the sunsets we had in this last week. And you saw and you looked out and they're just blown away by God and who he is and the beauty of what he has made. And that reflection of who he is through it. But then I'd ask you this. When was the last time your breath was taken away by God in worship of him? As you maybe here at church were singing to him or maybe like me on a run with your hands raised singing Jesus, Jesus, and your breath was taken away by God, or if you're just sitting in silence before him at some point or in prayer, and when was the last time your breath was taken away by the wonder and the majesty and the worthiness of God, that God's wonder is worthy to be worshiped. And I want us to get back to that sense of awe in God, that we need our hearts to be broken. We need our eyes to be open to his majesty, to his power, that our sense of wonder needs to be renewed in him, even to have our skin tingle a bit in fear at his power, at his grandeur, our breath to be taken away. And so we have today uh, in this, this passage that we're going to be looking at, what we have is a tale of two mountains. Okay, we're in Hebrews 12, 18 to 29. You can you start to get there if you haven't already, but a tale of two mountains. Now, I'll explain what that is in a little bit, but we, we continue on in Hebrews 12 from fixing our eyes on Jesus to be open to the discipline of God we talked about last week, about considering and meditating on Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect example of the life that he lived on this earth, and we meditate upon that, we consider Jesus, we were reminded even of our need to to be willing to die, to shed blood in our striving against sin, that we would never renounce Christ because we would only follow him, that he is the only thing worth giving our lives over to, that we're reminded of God's holiness and his demand for us to live lives of holiness. And then now it takes us kind of just takes a little bit more of an intense turn as we get into this passage. And so let's read uh, Hebrews 12, 18 to 29 here. And again, I said I'm reading in the NLT today. It says this, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. Like, think about that. Your life, you probably are like, Lord, please speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Please speak. Well, then God spoke and they're so terrified. They said, God, please stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. God said, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. So this author of Hebrews says, you've not come to that mountain, to Mount Sinai. He says, no, in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. 
You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. And now comes that familiar passage. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. All right, this whole thing, this whole passage can honestly sound like a little bit like, what? Like, it's just a little bit crazy. You got Mount Sinai with like all of this, this kind of trembling and fear and shaking and power. And then you've got Mount Zion with myriads of angels and heavenly hosts. And you're kind of like, okay, what, what is this all about? Let me just like very, very, very simply explain what's going on here. It's not that complicated if you just look at the big picture. First of all, He's saying, don't go back to Sinai and the law. Mount Sinai represented the law. That's certain death because your good works cannot match God's holiness. He says, you've now come to Jesus and Mount Zion where Jesus died and rose again. You've come to the new promised land, the new heaven and earth. And Jesus is the one who brings forgiveness at Mount Zion under his blood, this new covenant in his blood. So don't refuse Jesus like your ancestors refused and rejected Moses, because God's going to shake everything out. And those who aren't in Christ will be removed, but those who are in Christ will never be shaken. And so since we can never be shaken, we should give thanks and worship God because our God is worthy of it. We worship him with holy fear and awe because he is a consuming fire, a devouring fire. All right, so as preachers do, I just explained it. Let me explain it a little bit more, right? Okay, so the, the first mountain is this mountain of law and wrath, Mount Sinai, right? So you've got Mount Sinai, this mountain of law, wrath, judgment, and you're seeing imagery of that in this passage. And you're seeing this imagery of, of God and his holiness and his power that he's terrifying, that God is so holy, so strong, so mighty, so majestic that it should build a sense of holy fear in us as this whole passage kind of closes with. That's what it brings. But Sinai was the law. Sinai was a symbol of the law. All the Ten Commandments are given there, but all of the law that had to be followed by the people of Israel, and if they didn't follow it perfectly, then you're under judgment. And so there's this reminder within this that we cannot, we cannot fulfill all of this. We cannot live out the law perfectly, that we are under God's wrath. We are under God's judgment. And 
the thing is, is all of this power and all of this sort of this terrifying power, it's still true of God, even though it'll get to a new mountain. This is still who God is. We have to remind it that our God is this strong. Our God is this awesome, that we should have this sense of holy fear, that the holiness of God was so powerful that they couldn't even approach the mountain. They were so afraid. They were like, please, God, just stop talking. It's, it's too much. It's too much. And even if an animal would even touch the mountain, it would be, have to be killed. When was the last time you approached God with this sense of awe? This sense of holy, holy fear. I want you to consider that. Or have, have you sort of lost sight of who God is, his strength, his might, what he's worthy of, and what, what we really need to be able to do to be made right with God, that if we have to make ourselves right with God, we have to live perfectly, and since none of us have, what we then deserve is the wrath of God, judgment, and death. And so thankfully, there's another mountain. There's a mountain of grace and forgiveness this mountain of Zion. Now, Mount Zion is, uh, it is kind of like, it's symbolic of a couple things, but it, the actual place of Mount Zion is in the, whole, the old city of Jerusalem. Is, this is like the area where when David took over this area, it's where he set up his throne, Mount Zion. It's steps away from where the Temple Mount is. Kind of the whole area is just referred to as Mount Zion. It's steps away from where Jesus was crucified and where Jesus came to life again in power. This is where all of it takes place. This is where the people of God had to go to be in the presence of God was Mount Zion. That's where the temple was. And so Mount Zion is represented, it represents God's presence. It represents all of that, but even more so in our New Testament sense, Mount Zion is symbolic of the new heaven and new earth, the new city of Jerusalem coming down from heaven. It is where we will be forever with God. It is where the people of God are in the presence of God eternally. And so as this passage says here in, in Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, though, that it is in Jesus that we have this new covenant. It is in Jesus now that we have forgiveness. So what I want you to understand really basically and simply is that, look, the God of Mount Sinai is still who God is. And the demands of God at Mount Sinai are still God's demands. God demands perfection. God demands holiness. But what has changed is the way to become perfect. What has changed is the way to be holy, as God demands, is all through the shedding of Christ's blood. It's all through the sprinkling, it says, of Jesus' blood and this new covenant that we are under. Under him is all about grace. It's all about forgiveness. It still cost a lot. It had a heavy, heavy cost. But Jesus paid it. So we don't have to. It's a free gift for you, as the scriptures say. 
And so that's this tale of these two mountains. He's trying to remind them again, these people, of, <laughs> these people that are hearing or, or reading this, this book of Hebrews, don't go back to the law. Why would you go back to that? Why would you want to leave Jesus and go back to that when you have something so much better? And they, he's giving them a glimpse of eternity. And so this new mountain is all from Jesus. So he says to them, don't refuse Jesus or else you're going to be shaken. You're only unshakable in Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we can have a kingdom that will never, ever be shaken. The, the people of Israel rejected the voice of Moses. They, they kept rejecting what Moses' words were to them. He says, don't refuse this new messenger. Don't reject Jesus like you did Moses because God is going to shake everything. Everything is going to get shaken. I kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of a weak analogy, I guess, but I kind of imagine it like panning for gold, right? And you kind of get a big scoop and they shake it all out and all the stuff that you don't want gets, you know, is gone, but then the good remains, that everything is going to be shaken. There is going to come a great shaking. And everything that's secondary, everything that's temporary, everything that's not of Christ will be removed, and only that which is of Christ will remain. Revelations, uh, Revelation 21 refers to a new heaven and a new earth that has this sort of new birth element to it. And within that, you see this holy city of Jerusalem, this, this new city descending. And within that, it's just this, I kind of, I don't imagine like a city descending from heaven being like a, just a very peaceful process. That sounds like a great shaking, a great and terrible kind of process. And God is moving and working in this. And then you have now it has come and that is where we will spend eternity with Christ. But this great shaking will happen. Haggai, the prophetic book that says, Haggai 2, 6 through 9 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. And then it goes on to say, and in this place, I will grant peace. So all those who oppose God's sovereign rule will be shaken and removed. Just kind of like that, that shaking of that pan. It reminds me too of Matthew 7, which is that story of the, the house that was built on the sand or on the rock. And that when the, the floods come, uh, the house that was built on the sandy land, right? Don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore, even though that kind of gets it wrong because I think it was actually a flood path. But anyway, uh, so you don't want to build your house on that sand because then when the storms come, the floods come, when that shaking comes, that which is built on the sand gets taken away in the flood. But that which is built on the rock, which is Jesus, that will last, that will sustain. And only that will sustain. And, you know, I think about our world today, and we probably feel like 2020 through today and 2021, we feel like we've been in a great shaking in our world. We feel like our world has just been grabbed and kind of shaken up, right? Everything is just crazy, and everything is getting 
um, shaken and it feels like even it's sort of revealing, this shaking reveals a lot about people and what we place our trust in, what we put our hope in. And are we placing our hope in government? Are we placing our hope in leaders? Are we placing our hope in philosophies of this world? Are we placing our hope in uh, even our own works, even our own work, good works to help people? What are we placing our hope in? And it's all been kind of shaken up. And it's felt like everything has been shaken to our core. And I think it has revealed a lot about us as individuals, as the church, as our country, as our world, of what we place our hope in. And I want to tell you, if you place your hope, your trust, your eyes fixed on anything other than Jesus, you fix them on the wrong things. What we are to have our hope in and what should remain is Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what all this is about. Let me tell you, the shaking to come that the scriptures are referring to, 2020, is not it. This is nothing, okay? This is nothing compared to what will happen, that God's judgment will come. And God will see through the way that people have genuinely or not placed their hope in Jesus. And we should be afraid. That should freak us out. We should, be, we should be shuddering in fear, thinking, have I placed my hope in something other than Jesus? And will he say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. You might go to church your whole life. Depart from me, I never knew you, because your faith and your hope is not in me. It's in the things of this world. I challenge us, don't be caught up in empty deceptions and philosophies of this world, be caught up in Jesus. Because that's all that counts. That's all that counts. We can never be shaken in Christ. He is the rock, and in him we can stand forever. We have a peace and a security in Jesus that even if death takes me, I am fine. I am safe. I am at peace because I'm in Christ. I'm not in anything else. I'm not in anything that I wonder if it's strong enough. I'm not in anything that can be threatened in this world. I'm of Jesus. In him, that's all. In him is all I need. I encourage you to consider where have you placed your hope? Where have you given your attention? To what have you given your worship. It's interesting, you know, this weekend is, this is, uh, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day, Martin Luther King's birthday, and I'm preaching a sermon on a tale of two mountains, and I just kind of couldn't help but think about on this Martin Luther King weekend, the very last speech he gave is called the Mountaintop Speech, and he was railing for the first, I don't know, nine-tenths of the speech. He's railing against the inequities and the injustices of his day, but then he closes this talk, this speech, with this. He says, oh, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. 
Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That he had worked his entire life. He'd been dedicated to fighting against racism, to fighting against the injustices of our world for him and his people. But ultimately, he also recognizes that you see here that all that really matters is what will happen when you die. He said, I'm fine. Like, I'm, I'm okay because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And less than 24 hours later, after giving this speech, he is murdered. And he goes and stands before God, and, and he actually sees the glory of the Lord. Because it is so important, the work that he did throughout his entire life, and it is so important, everything that he was about, and the way that he fought, and the way that he brought people together, but the way that he challenged the status quo. But what was the most important thing about even Martin Luther King is that he is a son of the living God that he placed his hope, his faith, his trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And so that's why less than 24 hours after giving this speech, he stood before God in eternity. And so I ask you, what will happen when you stand before God one day? Have you placed your faith, your hope, your trust in him and in him alone? And do we are we able to worship our God in this sense of holy fear and awe? Is that the way we approach our God? In holy fear and awe at who he is. So what I want to do right now is we're, I'm going to actually ask Josh Wathen, our worship pastor, to come up. I'm going to have him teach these last couple verses and share with us these last couple verses, guiding us into a time of worship through singing, guiding us into a time of how can we actually do this to worship in holy fear and awe. So I want you to prepare yourself to hear from him, but then to take us into a time where we can actually then do this and worship God in holy fear and awe. Go for it, Josh. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you out here. It's good to see your faces or half your faces. That's cool. Um, <laughs> I wanna I wanna preface this time by uh, saying everything I'm about to say to you. I am preaching just as much to myself this morning. I often find that I receive better from communicators when I find they're coming from a posture of not someone who has arrived or reached the finish line and they're looking back at me telling me how to get there, but rather as someone who is running this race alongside me. So friends, I want to impart that to you today that I am fighting this fight with you and I pray that I can simply be an encouragement to us this morning. But I want to start us off with a question. Are we allowing the Lord to have our full attention? 
in this season. Because I'm a firm believer that God is doing a refining work in the church at large right now. He is realigning us in ways that many of us in the American church have never had to encounter. He is realigning us as a church, as a people, with worship through sacrifice. Guys, I got to tell you, I have struggled greatly with this online, socially distant model of church. I don't believe it's how we were wired to operate as humans. It's definitely not how I'm wired. And I have spent many Sundays asking and crying out to God to bring things back to normal. But this idea of refinement and realignment has been weighing on my heart recently. Uh, refinement, refinement is not comfortable. Realignment can be painful because it's forcing us to break out of habits of behavior and worship that have been normalized for us, and it's unnatural. But it serves the purpose of pushing us into something greater. And some of us here today, like me, have spent many days crying out to the Lord, God, please end this pandemic, end the coronavirus, bring us back to normality. And I, I have to say, I think those are amazing things to pray for. I believe God hears our prayers. I believe there is power and movement when we pray against sickness and death in the name of Jesus. But friends, ponder with me for a second. When we ask God to bring things back to normal, what are we asking for? What was normal? And here's my assessment of where normal has fallen for a lot of the church when it comes to worship. We walk in, we sing songs, and then we start to assess how the experience makes us feel. Did that song move me? That song didn't move me. That guy's got holes in his pants. The music's too loud. Should I write an email this week, etc.? And the cycle repeats. And I don't know about you, but I would be okay with leaving that normal behind for good, and I'll tell you why. That approach to worship demands no sacrifice of us. And not only does it not demand sacrifice from us, it centers around us. And church, when the worship of our almighty God centers around us, oh, how far have we missed the mark? Completely and utterly missing the mark. Have we considered that this thing that we've created worship to be, the band, the lights, the stage, the song selection based on the top 20 hits of the day or our top 10 all-time favorite hymns, maybe that's never what the Lord intended for this to become. And don't misunderstand me on this. I love the songs that we get to sing. These songs we sang this morning, the, the songs we're going to sing after, I love these. I think God uses these songs to minister to us in times of great struggle and confusion and hurt, including the season that a lot of us are in right now. But I do know this as well. The Lord calls us to dethrone anything and everything that comes above him and makes its way above him in our hearts. And so I want to I wanna ask this, like, I, I, I think... Would we, would we still believe, even in this time of struggle, even in this time of confusion, would we still believe that he is working for our good? And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying God caused the coronavirus or anything like that, but can we still believe if he is reigning above all things and he reigns and rules on the throne of our hearts, can we believe that he's still working? Even if it disrupts our worship songs, even if it disrupts our church-going experience, and even if it disrupts our comfortability in worship. 
And I think oftentimes we look at worship as this transactional interaction. God, I worship you because in return you give me a nice giant building to come and gather. And God, I worship you because in return you give me a free coffee place on Sundays. God, I worship you because in return you give me three different service times to choose at my leisure, at my convenience. But when the gatherings are forced outside, when the coffee cart no longer complies with current health guidelines, and when the service times change three times in one year, what are we left with? I'll tell you, we're left with everything because Jesus gave us everything on the cross. We go back to these verses that Eric started with at the end of this Hebrews passage in verses 28 and 29. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is un a kingdom. When's the last time you asked for a kingdom for Christmas? We're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe for our God is a devouring fire. Jesus gave us everything on the cross. And you know what the amazing thing is? Out of his abundance and graciousness and generosity, he still continues to give us more. But let me challenge us with this. If Jesus had stopped at the cross, if he never did anything else for us after that, and that's a pretty big something, Eric Highland, that's, that's an amazing free gift he's given us. But if he did nothing else for us after that, would it be enough? If he took the weight of the sin, the sin of the, the world on his shoulders, died for us, rose again, gave us eternal life, and then said, saddle up because it's going to get difficult. That's, that sounds familiar, right? <laughs> but even then, even when things get hard, and then a step further, even if he didn't do anything else for us, would it be enough? Would we be willing to shift our mindset from a place that says, God, I worship you because in return you give me blank and turn it into, God, I worship you because of who you are, not just in my life, but in the world around me? Are we willing to sacrifice our own comfortabilities and preferences in order that we might worship him in even greater ways with the awe and reverence and holy fear that he is due? Because church, he is. He is due. He is worthy. I'm going to invite the music team back up here, and as we, uh, we're going to move into a time of, of singing together, but I want to... I want to wrap up by saying this. Uh, back in September, we revisited a series on worship that we, uh, that we did about two and a half years ago. Uh, and out of that series was a devotional called Breathe, a uh, 21-day devotional. Um, and you can find this on our church app. You can also find it on calvarylife.org slash breathe. And friends, I just want to encourage you this morning. I think it's a great resource, and I think it would do, it would do you well to look through it and go through it, um, whether it's by yourself or with your family. Um, it will shift your perspective on worship uh, like never before. And even if you've already done it with us in the past, whether it's been one or two times, it's a great refresher in this season. But I want to close by quoting from uh, day 11 of that devotional. And it says, in 2 Samuel, King David replies to an opportunity to present a sacrifice that would not cost him anything. He says, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. How often do we look for this same type of worship experience, a method of worship that is convenient to our liking and easy to take part in? The reality of sacrifice is that it should cost us something. 
in its truest nature, worship is a response of reverence and a sacrifice of something of value to recognize God's worth so that our lives may be realigned to his reality. I don't know where each and every one of you is this morning, but I do know that the Lord is calling each of us to a greater place of sacrificial worship. And uh, as I said in the beginning of this time, I am, I'm running this race with you. I am in a season right now where I have completely divorced myself from social media. It became a role and a platform in my life that, uh, A, it, it provided a platform to me for me to make judgments about people that weren't mine to make, but also it became this tug of war wrestling match with the Lord of whose, whose ego and whose status was gonna be higher. Was it gonna be mine or was my platform gonna be used for the Lord's glory? And I just decided to do away with that wrestling match. And so that's, that's the thing that I am throwing into the fire daily and consistently in this season. And I implore you, uh, use this time to seek the Lord on what that means for you. Um, I know this might be a little odd in the times we're in, but uh, if I could just have like maybe a couple of pastors and elders maybe just step off to the side. I know we're being safe with COVID guidelines and everything. Um, and you know, we'll wear the masks, we'll distance, we'll, you know, we're not gonna lay hands or anything. But if you need prayer today, we wanna make ourselves available for you. Again, we will do it safely, uh, but don't walk out of here without allowing the Lord to work in your heart in the ways that he wants to. And this last thing, I, uh, I've been praying this week um, all about this time and I consistently felt the Lord telling me to share this and this is super uncomfortable for me but I feel like I just need to take a leap of obedience here. I believe the, the Lord is highlighting somebody here in this congregation. Uh, he, has, he has allowed you to be extremely financially prosperous. In fact, in this pandemic season, he has blessed you even more because of your ability to serve people in this time. And I believe there's someone here that he has been stirring in your heart for, I don't know how long now, maybe it's been a few months, but he's been stirring in your heart that out of the blessings that he has given you, out of the cup that is overflowing, you are supposed to find somebody, maybe it's a family member or a friend, or maybe it's somebody that you need to seek out, but you're supposed to find someone who has been struggling in this pandemic and write them their next month's rent. Uh, just write them a check for that. And again, if, if that resonates with somebody, you don't need to identify yourself, but I just felt the Lord uh, leading me to impart that into this room today. But um, we're just gonna spend the next several minutes in, in worship and prayer and seeking God and uh, whatever posture is uh, comfortable for you uh, to make that happen, I encourage you to take that. So let's pray and then we'll jump into it. Lord Jesus, we honor you. We give you glory, for you are the one who is worthy. And Father, forgive us where we've placed our hope and our trust in shaky foundations. Father, forgive us for where we have made the worship and the adoration of you about what makes us most comfortable. And Jesus, I ask in this, these next several minutes here that you would open us up. Bring us back to your heart this morning. Allow us to see like you do. Allow us to love like you do. And out of our abundant love, our 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 overflowing love for you, God. May that give us love for others. And Jesus, above all, may we worship you, may we glorify you with that holy fear 
that reverence, that awe that you are so worthy of. Forgive us for where we've put you in a box. And I ask that in this time as we, as we sing together, as we pray to, together and with one another, if, that you would begin to tear down those boxes, those walls that we've put you inside. Forgive us for where we've made you too small in our hearts. Have it all, Lord Jesus, have it all.